0: Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com.au. Matthew 2, 1-12. The Magi visit the Messiah. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, During the uh, time of King Herald, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herald heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herald, they returned to their country by another route.
1: Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for being our God and and a God that speaks to us and a God that reveals himself to us. That's what we get to celebrate this Christmas, the the birth of Jesus, our Lord, our Saviour. And so we pray today, Lord, that you'll remind us of who he is and why that's such good news. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, The other day I was in the office and... Uh, I was working away and all of a sudden in the cubicle next to me, so we're in an open plan office, in the cubicle next to me, I started hearing someone in a a deep male voice. I don't want to laugh for Christmas, there is just one thing I need. I don't know how it goes. (laughs) I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree, right? I don't know if you know that song, but we're in this open office plan, right, this space in a church building. And you'd think this person is going to at least sing a Christmas carol, right? We're in a church. Come on, why are you singing this? And I'm like, so I'm like there, I'm like, Ben, please. Come on, Ben. Like, let's not do this. And he comes around, puts his hand around, he's like, looks me straight in the eye. So, like, Mikey, all I want for Christmas is you. So, Mikey, do you hate Christmas or something? Get into the spirit of it. Now, if you don't know that song, that's a Mariah Carey song. It's always played on the radio. Uh, it's it's become really a Christmas anthem, hasn't it? People play this song uh, when they put up their Christmas tree in November. It gets overplayed in the shopping centres on the radio. But who here, who here actually likes this song? Yes, there's a few. And who here really gets annoyed by this song? Yeah, a lot more, right? Like, come on. He- hands down, Mariah Carey. I'll give it up to her. She's a great singer. But when this song plays, I just want oh, to roll my eyes, right? Now, I've been finding that I do that a lot recently. I do roll my eyes a lot. Not about Christmas, I love Christmas, but about people's opinions about Christmas. I get on, on Facebook and people are arguing about how, you know, um, you know w- what is a Christmas movie? You know, and they're, they're arguing, you know, Home Alone is my favourite Christmas movie. What's the other ones? Love Actually. And of course, Die Hard. People are like, no, Die Hard's not a Christmas It is a Christmas movie. You know, if you actually watch it, you know, the Bruce Willis, he plays the saviour figure, and it was so good. It's during Christmas time. So it's a Christmas movie. And then there are other people debating. Yeah, you know, they're debating about how Christmas, oh, Christians just stole Christmas. It was a pagan festival. Christmas, you know, Christians stole, they hijacked it to be their own. People have been debating that for ages. People get passionate about Christmas trees, like, oh, we shouldn't, you know, celebrate Christmas with Christmas trees because that's a pagan thing as well. Santa shouldn't be the focus on Christmas time; it should be Jesus and, all. and I get that. I get that. You know, I get that as a parent now. You know, I'm not telling my kid about, like, Santa's a guy in a suit. Yes, he's nice. He gives gifts and everything, but he's not real. He's not real. And I, you know, I, I'm just gonna whisper that in case any parents feel uncomfortable with me saying that out loud. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Santa, okay? You might have gathered that from last week as well. Um, many are divided on these issues, right? The fact that I have to whisper that. The fact that I have to whisper that, come on. Many people debate over these issues whether we should tell our kids that if Santa is real. Maybe the question we need to be discussing, though, is who truly is this Jesus character that came at Christmas time? Because the world is divided on that, aren't they? People roll their eyes at the idea of Jesus. They think he's just a myth, a legend, a story that was told and passed on from generation to generation so people can have a moral compass to follow. Others get angry. They think of him as dangerous, a man who causes division in families and communities, who started a cult following through his lies and ultimately led to many wars throughout history. But I'm guessing if you're here today and you're not a Christian, welcome. First of all, it's great that you're here with us, but you're probably wondering who this Jesus is is that Christians talk about. Why is he such a big deal at Christmas time? It isn't a surprise to many of us, though, that that the world has been divided on this issue for many years over history. It's been a big debate, even two thousand years ago, when Chris, when the first Christmas happened, when Jesus was born into our world. There were people who reacted and responded in different ways to his coming. That's what we read about today. That's what we read in our Bible. The first Christmas, we saw people who responded differently to who this Jesus was. Let's get back into it. Let's. Um, We're going to read from the text again, so if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me. But we have a few different characters in this story, and we see how they respond differently to the birth of Jesus. So let me read again from verse 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, uh, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, verse 2, and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now, the word disturbed is more like he's troubled. He's not feeling comfortable with this idea. There are these magi from the east, men from the east, traveled into the country, and they're looking for the king. But Herod has the title of king. He's the king of the Jews. So are they looking for me? He's thinking, are they looking? But he's, They're not. They're looking for this baby that's been born. That's not him. So you obviously, he's, he's feeling a bit disturbed by this news. Let me give you a bit of context who this King Herod was. He was king over Judea, so this part of um, Israel where Jerusalem, the city Jerusalem was at the time. He was the king of the Jews, but he himself wasn't entirely a pure-blood Jew himself. He had this mixed ethnicity. Um, But you see, he was appointed by the Roman Empire who was in charge. The Roman Empire was in charge of this whole region, and King Herod was like a puppet, a puppet king for them. And what historians tell us about this King Herod was he was really paranoid. He was not only paranoid, but he was power-hungry as well. He, he did some, some really crazy things. He had his wife and his sons killed because he thought they were a threat to his power. He was legit insane and just really insecure about his position. So he ruled with this sort of terror and wasn't afraid to kill off anyone who gets in his way. Not the type of king you'd like to live under if he was in charge today. But this is what we hear in, in, according to the historians. The same Herod that was recorded here in the Gospel of Matthew in our first Christmas story. It begins with him paranoid because he just heard that there's a baby boy that's been born who has the title King of the Jews. Now, you can sort of understand. I mean, King Herod, I mean, no one hopefully feels this way, but King Herod, he's in charge and he's like, oh man, this guy, this little baby is going to take over my job one day. You'd feel a little bit threatened. A little bit, right? You've, you know, you've got this lavish, luxurious lifestyle and you're going to lose it all, perhaps. We can empathize with that, at least. We try to work hard. I, mean, I don't know if anyone's in that sort of position in their workplace. We work hard to get there. We're worthy of that role. We don't want some young, you know, whippersnapper trying to take over our job. And so we try to do what we can. We work hard. We, we, we try to relate to young people, right? And use words like push and pee and no cap and I don't know, stay relevant. And you think, King Herod, well, I want to, you know, I want to keep this position. I need to show people that. I need to do what I can to keep this role. Later on, we actually hear how crazy he gets. Um, he, he goes ahead and he kills all the baby boys in Israel, all the boys under two. That's how, how, how crazy this guy is. He, doesn't, he wants the power. He wants the control. He doesn't want anyone to take that from him. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I talk to people, I get that vibe. Not, not King Herod's vibe that he wants to kill everyone, but I get that vibe <laughs> that when you talk about Jesus, it's like a threat to their lifestyle. Uh, that if I believe in Jesus, my lifestyle is going to be ruined. That Jesus is going to take away power and control from me. He's going to take my position on the throne of life. I don't want anything to do with him. We get to the point of being angry sometimes at God. Because God, you know, we thought uh, we thought we were the masters of faith, and everything's not going the way we wanted, so we get angry at God, and then we don't want Jesus even more, even though we know there's something going on out there. I mean, you know, when you look at King Herod, he's supposed to believe in God, but he doesn't, really. He gets angry instead. Let's look at the other characters. When Herod finds out about Jesus, he calls the chief priests and the, the Jewish leaders, the teachers, to come to him. He asks them, these are the experts in the, in the Scriptures. Like they know their Bibles. He asks them, where's the Messiah, this King of the Jews? Where was he to be born? They say in verse 5, in Bethlehem, in Judea. And they read out part of the Scriptures, a prophecy about Bethlehem, where this King will be born. Now, we're not only told about these Jewish leaders, um, but we can at least, we're not told much, but we can at least conclude that their attitude to this is pretty like, well, here's the answer, but, I don't know, shrugs. That's how they're feeling. Like, there's this sort of indifference that we're hearing. We we don't really hear anything else about their uh, opinion about this. Sounds like they don't really care. They might be disturbed like like, uh, King Herod is, but this is all we hear from them. We know, if you guys read your Bible you know, later on in the stories of the Gospels and all that, we know the Jewish leaders, they get very antagonistic against Jesus. They too feel the same way, don't they? Threatened by him. a threat. He's a threat to their traditions and the laws and the ways of life. We find out at the end of the Gospels that it's actually them that play a big part in crucifying Jesus on the cross. At this point in the story, though, we can at least conclude the attitude is a little just a bit indifferent. I can imagine they're probably just thinking, yeah, these magi from the east, talking about this baby boy being born, don't know, don't really know, might be real, might be not, they're probably feeling a bit skeptical, probably feeling like, oh, this, is, this might just be a scam, okay, like some, some text message phone call, you've won a random prize, enter your bank details, let's wire this money, delete, right, hang up, ignore, unsubscribe, isn't that it here? They're just feeling that, oh, it might be, it might not be. In the same way, I find this true too of many of my friends. Oh, when I talk to them about Jesus, this indifference. Yeah, maybe. Good for you, though. It's not for me, though. Thanks very much. Maybe that's you today. You're here at church because your friends sort of drowned you along. You're like, oh, sure. Got nothing else to do on Christmas Day. Eh, maybe. Good for you. I'll see how it goes. You've heard this about Jesus so many times, and your heart is just feeling a bit meh about it. Not really sure what to think about it. Don't really... Mm, just want to keep living life the way you are. Jesus is cool, but just not for me, thanks. Let's look at the other characters, the Magi. There's a song about the Magi, isn't there? A famous song, a Christmas carol that you probably sang as a kid. uh, We three kings of Orion are. I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna debunk some of this song with you. Uh, let's not rely on this as a history lesson, this song. I loved this song growing up, man. It was the only song that my voice could actually sing. Like, it's just a, we three kings, a warrior, you know, like I, could, I felt comfortable singing that one out of all the Christmas carols. Um, Joy to th- it's so hard to sing that song. But when you look at this song, three, we three kings, right? The first thing we need to acknowledge is in the Bible here, when we're told about them, this, this is where we're told about them, we're not told that they're kings. We're told that they're magi, first of all. We don't know if there were three of them. Why do we think there, was, there were three gifts? Yes, they present three gifts, but we don't know if there were three magi. There could have been a whole group of them. There could have been one or two of them, a couple of them. But we don't actually know who they are and how many, them, how many of them actually came. Now, when you think about the word magi, you're thinking about more like priests. They were um, people who uh, were, were, were scientists, astrologers. They read the stars. That's why they're following the star. They, they taught people stuff. They were like academics. The Bible tells us they're magi. They're wise men from the east. From the east. That's really important as well. It's an important thing that we need to pick up. When the Bible says they're from the east, east of Israel, we're thinking about the, the nations of um, Babylon and Persia. What that's saying is that they weren't Jewish. They weren't Jewish people. Jesus is a, was born a Jewish person here, in a country that's predominantly Jewish. That should be really fascinating to us. When you think about Babylon and Persia, I mean, those countries to the east, what are they known for in history? Babylon conquered Israel. They were the enemies of Israel, the Jews, similar to Persia. Persia were a bit nicer, but they were in charge in history at one point. They once held Israel captive, took them to their lands, plundered and pillaged and did horrific things. So, we have these pagan astrologers from the East who have traveled far, following a star in the sky to worship a baby. Who would do a pilgrimage like that? Who would do that unless they're being given some sort of special vision, some sort of revelation? This giant star in the night sky will lead them to the King of the Jews, the chosen King, the one that will rule over all nations, the ruler of the world. You'd only do that, right, if you're convinced, totally convinced, who this baby was. Isn't it so fascinating? that the ones in this story who recognize the baby for who he is isn't the ones who've been waiting for him this whole time. The Jews, Israel, they've been waiting for the Messiah, the king to come. They're not excited. The ones in the story are the ones from the east, the magi from the east, pagan priests. They came not for war, but for worship, not to pillage and plunder, but for praise, to praise and proclaim. The king that the nations have been waiting for, the rightful and true king, he's the king of the Jews, the one who is born to rule over the nations. He's been born this night. And isn't worship the response they give to Jesus? In verse 10, we read that they saw this child and they fell to their knees and they worshiped him. They gave him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You might be wondering why those gifts gold is a very expensive material right we know that today as well gold it's a it's a expensive material worthy of a king frankincense it's it's like an incense a perfume that's offered usually to the gods and there's myrrh what's myrrh well it's, it's an oil uh an anointing oil used in those times anointing oil to embalm dead people with why would you give that to a baby you wonder that right It was symbolic of death. They're they're more than just lavish gifts for royalty, aren't they? They're gifts symbolic of who this baby is. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. The son of God who came to rule and to one day will die for his people. They recognize something about this Jesus that we can only assume they've been told from God himself. Who this child is. To follow this giant star in the night sky which will lead them to him. But what's going to be our response to who Jesus is? We have the whole picture. We have the Bible in front of us. We know this baby boy. We know how history turned out. We know why many, we we hear that many today call him king, the king who teaches and loves and sacrifices his life on a cross for his people. Just a chapter before in, in Matthew 1, we didn't read it today, but let me read a little bit from it. There's an angel. He, came, he comes to appear to Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus. And this angel gives them this big announcement. Uh, Mary, she'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he'll save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's a beautiful picture here where uh, Jesus is born, and then given these names Jesus, and, and this other name, Emmanuel. An angel brings this message to them, and it's like, well, these names are so important, aren't they? We need to figure out names in the ancient Middle East. They're important. They have meaning. Jesus means God will save. Emmanuel means God with us. God is salvation. God with us. And so when we think about Christmas, it's so much more than a cute baby in a manger, isn't it? So much more than the birth of Jesus. It's about the purpose of his birth. The manger isn't a gift to a cozy, warm world. Because the world, when we, he comes into our world, the world is at odds with God. Jesus breaks actually into history, and it enters into our universe because there's a problem in our world that needs to be fixed. There's sin. That's a big problem. We see that all around us, don't we? The effects of sin in the brokenness of our world. The brokenness out there, but also sometimes the brokenness in here. I mean, just let's look back at 2022 as a blur for, for me but it wasn't much better than last year, was it? It was, it was, it was, it was rough. I, it was rough for me, but it, even in the world around us, there were floods, right? The floods happened this year, impacted heaps of cities in our country. A war began between Russia and Ukraine. The economy took a turn with rising inflation and interest rates and all that. Everyone's been feeling the effects of that with increased living costs. But what's been happening in your life? Uh, more and more, I hear about people feeling this increased sense of anxiety trying to figure life out. What are they doing with themselves? Have you been trying to figure out purpose for you? Have you felt stuck, disillusioned, just overwhelmed by the pressures of life? We don't have to just look around. We can feel it, that brokenness. It's a result of what, we, what Christians call sin, the sin in our world. And what sin is, is that relationship with God has been severed. It's been broken because of sin. Humanity's rejection of God You see, our default is that. Our human nature is to take the throne over our lives and not allow God to be there. And what happens is we become distant from God because of sin. We become distant from the God who is the source of life, of joy, of peace, of freedom, of purpose and goodness and security. What happens when we're severed from the source of all those good things? We feel it so much more, don't we? There's a breakdown in relationships. There's insecurity we feel in our hearts and emptiness and meaninglessness when we look forward to our future, the sting of death when life feels so short. And we come to Christmas time. And as great as Christmas is, it amplifies this for some of us, doesn't it? A time of togetherness, it's met with the strain of broken relationships. A time of joy, but met with heartache, pain and loss. A time of gifts, but instead met with feelings of fear and insecurity and stress. You see, the truth is in the West, at least, in the West, the idea of Christmas is it's meant to bring some sort of comfort to us. Presence, togetherness, the Christmas hymn. And isn't that why Mariah Carey's song is such a hit? All I want for Christmas is you. I mean, the song resonates with the lonely. Those who miss their loved ones, those who are longing for friendship or reconciliation. It resonates with our hearts because at Christmas time we all anticipate those things: love, joy and peace, especially in our relationships. You know, Mariah Carey song's a hit because we all feel we all feel that way. It brings us comfort. Yet that comfort that Christmas you know, brings isn't it so often short-lived? Today's Christmas Day it's going to be over tomorrow. That comfort that Christmas brings always seems to be out of reach. The decorations go down, and the family fly back home, the holidays wrap up, and we do it all again next year. The world is looking for comfort, a sense of salvation. But where are they looking for it? See, the Magi in our story, they're following the signs. There's a bright star in the sky, it's a big giant arrow. Here he is, he's a Savior. He's going to rule over the world, he's going to bring salvation to all. His name will be Jesus. Emmanuel. He is God with us. He will be the Prince of Peace. The one who brings peace to a broken world. A peace to reconcile us back to God where that relationship was once severed. The one who comes to save us. He's here, born into our world. He comes to die so that sin can be dealt with and our relationship with God will be restored. Man, God is with us now. Through Jesus, we have salvation. Amidst the brokenness of our world, Christmas brings us comfort but brings us comfort so much deeper than what gifts and togetherness and whatever else we find brings us comfort in the short season. Isn't that the message that Christmas that we all really need to hear? That the King is the one who will bring us salvation, not just from the, the pain and struggles in this life, but also into the next as well, to take away the walls that separate us from God? Don't we want a savior who will bring us through death into the arms of God who will receive us and take us finally home? into an eternal joy, into an eternal peace and freedom, a God who is with us, a God who saves. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the reason for the season. A Savior has been born to us today. Hallelujah. The, the question for you and I, though, is how does that make you feel? How do you want to respond to this king? You might still feel a little uncomfortable, troubled a bit like King Herod did back then, refusing who he is. A bit threatened even. If he's truly king, worthy of worship, that might threaten everything you believe, your very lifestyle. It sounds terrifying to relinquish your throne to Jesus. I mean, I'm the master of my faith, the captain of my soul. I don't want Jesus to take the steering wheel. The gospel changes everything, yes. Perhaps this news has just swept over you. You're here and you've already switched off. Ah, It's good for the Christian in the room, but I'm happy to stay on the sidelines. Passive, indifferent. I'll, I'll confront this stuff, Stuff about religion, Jesus, God, when I have to, when my life depends on it. But for now, I'm good. Well, perhaps today, and being here, hearing this message is is the sign for you. This is the bright star in the sky that you need to be pointed to, to be nudged, to be encouraged towards that Jesus is the one. He's the one who's going to rescue you from the brokenness out there and in here. That he's the salvation that you've been searching for, oh, for so long. And it's time to bow down. It's time to worship. If, it's, if it is, right? He's not asking for your gold, your frankincense or myrrh. He's asking for your heart. Enter into a relationship with him. Bring your lives before him in worship. And that invitation is for all of us here today, especially for those who, who don't know him yet. Get to know the one we call the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, Jesus, the Christ, our Saviour. It really reminds me of that story that went um, viral a few years back. It was all over the internet uh, about a social experiment that was done in Washington uh, in a subway in the US. There was this famous famous violinist. His name was Joshua Bell. He sold out all the concerts uh, in Washington, um, but he participated in this experiment where he put on this plain T-shirt and a baseball cap, and he went into the subway to play on his $3.5 million violin to see if anyone would recognise him, anyone would recognise his talent based on the setting that he was in, right? So you'd expect a big crowd. You'd expect uh, you know, hundreds of people surrounding him in the subway if they recognized him. He, p- he played for 45 minutes during peak hour right in the subway. 1,070 people walked past him that day. He made only $32 in 45 minutes in mostly coins. And no one stopped longer than a minute. There's one person who did, stayed for nine minutes, and that person stayed because they recognized him. The rest walked past, not realizing who this man was and his talent. I probably would have been one of those thousand, 100%. Uh, the experiment showed, really, without, that without any commentary, without any marketing or, or guidance, at least, we don't know great art, even if it was right in front of us. We wouldn't know uh, if there was a Mona Lisa painting right in front of us if we walked past it, the real Mona Lisa. We wouldn't know. We need that guidance. We need that, uh, that, that commentary to help us recognize Now I get it. Classical violin is a niche, right? The average person walking past in a subway wouldn't have recognized him. We might even feel a bit divided about how great this talented this man really was, right? We might go, ah, he's all right. I don't know. Some people think he's good, but I wonder if that's the same for Jesus, a baby boy misunderstood, but the Son of God, the King who would die on a cross for His people, for the sin of humankind to save them. I mean, that's something totally unexpected. No one's looking out for that. Yet today, even with Christmas, even with all the nativity scenes, even with all the Christmas carols, telling the world about who this Jesus is, the world still remains divided. Herod, he felt threatened. Others were indifferent. But the Magi, they saw him. They bowed down and worshipped. Let me ask you, how will you respond to the one called Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, God, our salvation? If you're not a Christian here, or you've drifted from the faith, let me invite you to come. I invite you to come and chat to me, someone here, your friend who invited you here, anyone next to you who's a Christian, I invite you to talk to them. We'd love to chat to you about who Jesus is because we do believe, we are convicted that he is our greater comfort, our greater hope, joy and salvation. We'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to worship him. But for now, I'd like to pray for us. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for our church as we think about Christmas, as we think about the gift of Jesus. Let's pray now. Father, I thank you for Christmas. I thank you for the gift of Jesus that he was born into our world, ultimately to die on a cross so that we could be saved. Thank you that he became man so that we could become sons and daughters of God, so that we could have a relationship with you restored. We pray, too, for those here who have yet to recognize who He truly is and His greatness. I pray that Your Spirit will open the hearts of those here to who You are, to the goodness, love, hope, and peace that comes from the cross of Christ. May it be their comfort. May it be our comfort as we celebrate this season. May it be our salvation as we look to Jesus, the one who is truly worthy of our worship. In His name we pray. Amen.